It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Reds fans? My name is Jeff Carr, and you are Locked On Reds. What is going on, Reds fans? TGIF, and welcome into the Locked On Reds podcast for the Friday edition and the interview Phone It In Friday. I forgot what I even call these episodes. The Phone It In Friday episode. Today, I've got the Cincinnati Enquirer Reds beat reporter Bobby Nightingale on for the definitive daily Reds podcast interview of Bobby Nightingale. You're not going to want to miss it. Got a lot of great stuff in there, so we're going to make this short and sweet. Just make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Whatever provider you're listening to right now, hit that subscribe button. Also, check us out on Twitter and save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159. Without further ado, here is my interview with Bobby Nightingale from the Cincinnati Enquirer For this week's interview... I am talking with the man inside the clubhouse for the Reds for the Cincinnati Enquirer. I've got Bobby Nightingale on the phone with me to talk all things Reds. Bobby, how are you doing tonight? I know Phil Irvin just walked off, so that's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, it's always cool when you leave a stadium after a walk-off. Absolutely, and I know I read in the recap, you talked to him, seemed uh, obviously really excited, but he didn't even know he hit it until he was about to round second. Yeah. It was one of those things where, you know, great American ballpark is just so close to that, that first row of seats uh, where some guys can rob homers. You saw it recently with uh, the Philly center fielder. So Harper had a good jump on it. And, you know, judging from the press box, I wasn't sure if he caught it either because the ball came back on the field. So I thought maybe he batted it back into the field and then, you just saw Harper kind of look away in disgust, and it was like, okay, and then he, you know, he didn't catch it. So it was one of those things where I, I was confused myself, and then all the other Reds players were already on the field celebrating, so they were kind of the only ones that knew for sure that it was a home run. 
It's always good to have that kind of confidence in your teammate too. But yeah, nice to be <laughs> just the thought. It's it's like, oh hey, hey, I won. I won the game. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> we're we were talking because it was like uh, I think Michael Lorenzen was either on deck or uh, two batters away. So we always we, we assumed it was going to be him who was going to hit the walk off homer just with the weekend he's had. You know, hitting his first homer yesterday and playing center field. So we, we thought it was going to be fitting that he would have been the person to do it, but a few batters away sometimes baseball does work out that way and i mean and when you get compared to babe ruth i mean why not <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well hey since this is the definitive interview of a daily reds podcast of the bobby nightingale i wanted to kind of just flesh out how your career has developed up to this point i mean being a beat reporter, at least from my point of view now, some people may not think this, but being a beat reporter inside the clubhouse like that, it just always seemed like kind of a dream of mine. And to see like where you've come up to this point, just kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say sum all that up because that sounds goofy, but tell me about your journey. So I went to, uh, you know, my, my dad obviously writes for USA Today, Bob Nightingale. So I've kind of always been, that's kind of always been in the back of my head that I was going to be around baseball in some capacity, some way. My mom also worked at a newspaper uh, for most of my life. So it was one of those things where newspapers were always kind of there as an option. Now, when I went to college, that was my one goal was not to ever work for a newspaper just because, (laughs) you know, we know it's a dying industry and, you know, how many kids uh, read newspapers anymore. So my goal was to get into broadcasting, actually, and that's what I went to school for was communication. And then... I'd probably say my junior year, I started to realize, you know, I wasn't as good as some of the other kids in my uh, in my class. So uh, that's when I started writing for the school newspaper was my junior year. Uh, I thought I was pretty good at it. You know, it's one of the things that just came natural. And then after that, uh, my senior year, I got an internship with MLB.com for the for after my first summer after graduation with the Detroit Tigers. So I worked with there kind of that gave me my first chance to kind of work on a beat full time and that was cool I really enjoyed it it was a good team they lost in the American League Championship Series so it was was a veteran clubhouse to kind of learn from and kind of figure out how baseball is covered on a daily basis and then after that I worked the last for four years I covered high schools uh, the University of Kansas football and basketball and a little bit of baseball too and I did that for four years. And then next up was the Inquirer, which I started at last in the middle of last year, uh, I think May 1st. And this is my first full season with spring training included. Uh, so about one and a half years in covering the Reds now. Nice. So w- w- was that the, um, was that like the Yvonne Rodriguez and Miguel Cabrera in his prime? Was that that team? Yeah, it was Cabrera. He'd, he'd won the triple crown the year before. The starting rotation had Verlander. Scherzer, Rick, Rick Porcello was the fifth starter. Uh, Annabelle Sanchez was the number three guy, and he won the ERA title that year. It was Jim Leland's last season. So it was, a re- it was a really good team, Prince Fielder. I mean, just a lot of stars on it, Torrey Hunter. Oh, man. That, uh, how does um, – okay, so you, you talk with Jim Lee, you talk with David Bell, just kind of looking at those two guys. How do they – I'm sure there's a lot of differences, but how, what, how do they differ to you? To me, Leland was, at that point, he had established such a reputation among players that, you know, he was already kind of one of the top managers in the game at the time. Nobody knew he was going to retire until he did. Uh, But he just commanded a lot more respect. Um, 
you get you know than your average manager uh just because just because he's older and he's been around the game so long and david bell he's you can tell he's new school but he brings such like a player's mentality to it uh just being a former player that you can tell he can relate he can relate really really well to the clubhouse and you can tell they really enjoy playing for him uh the thing with leland though you know you'd always see him you know smoking cigarettes in his office before games uh you know he's known to do it during games too uh, you could tell there was days he slept in his office. I mean, he was just one of those baseball lifer type guys, which was really fun to be around. Uh, whereas David Bell, not, not that he doesn't, you know, work as hard or sleep in his office or anything, but you can just tell he's more player friendly, I guess, uh, more recently played. Whereas, you know, Leland was just, you know, he was in his sixties at the time and a little bit different stages of life. Who, when you think back on covering the team there as an intern, who was the first person that comes to mind? Was it Jim Leland or was it a player? Uh, Leland, just because you know you you meet with the manager twice a day before and after games, just so could, because you're around him so much, and then probably Tory Hunter after that, just because he was he was like the most entertaining guy to talk to. He'd always have something funny to say before and after games. Uh, so th- those two probably player and manager wise. Nice. I was that that was a really good team. I remember that team pretty well. Um, but enough about the Tigers. This is a Reds podcast, anyway. <laughs> so, um, I did want to ask you. I, this last weekend, the Reds had a crazy weekend in St. Louis, where they're like, "Hey, let's just play two doubleheaders back to back." What is that like from a press box perspective? Because I know you guys get there pretty early as far as game time is concerned. So how much time do you spend in the press box on a day like that? Yeah, it's a ridiculously long day. I want to say we were there probably. They pushed they pushed everything back a little bit uh, just because David Bell told players not to get there super early because they, they knew what they were kind of up against. Sure. So I want to say it was get to the stadium around 10 a.m. And then the first game was at noon um, on Saturday. So that was a pretty quick turnaround. And then you play a game. I think there's two hours in between. Give um, enough stuff to write your stories, uh, kind of get prepared for the next game. And then the next game comes, uh, get post-game quotes, write the post-game, their second story, basically. And then I think I got out around 10, 10 or 11 p.m., so it was about 12 or 13 hours at the park. And Saturday wasn't too bad just because they didn't play Friday. So you were a little bit more well-rested that day. Sure. And then Sunday, it felt kind of normal just because you're used to getting up early on Sundays and covering a day game. And then it, it kind of dragged on after the second game. <laughs> I just remember the first game where I hit his 40th homer and he was talking about how um, it was kind of a dream come true for him. This is one of six Venezuelans to hit 40 homers in a season. And in the second game, he got hit by a pitch. Uh, and, you know, everyone kind of feared that he broke his hand uh, originally when it happened. Right. Obviously, you know, he's better now, but at the time, it just looked so bad that everyone thought he broke his hand. So it just felt awkward because, you, you, you know, you write all these stories and you're like, and the whole day you're thinking, all right, this is, you know, his 40 homers, how excited he is. It's a dream come true. That's kind of the, you know, the team wasn't playing well, but that was kind of the story of the day. And then you he might have broke his hand and then it turns into a completely like, oh, this you know, this this might have been the last day of the season. So that really uh, changed kind of this perspective of the day. It was another 12-hour day. Then they had a day game on Monday just because of Labor Day, and I think they had a concert after the game. So it was really, you know, five games in uh, 50 hours. And you, but after the second game of the Sunday is when you can really tell it was starting to get sluggish for everyone who's around the team. Sure. And, and I – 
can understand even just watching at home when I saw Suarez get plunked on the wrist and on the hand, I was like, oh, my gosh, not again. It feels like he gets hit there like 500 times a year. I know, yeah, because I remember he got hit by the Pirates there earlier this year, and I said he walked to the mound and asked the pitcher if he did it on purpose. So I know it's one of those things he's sensitive about, but it's like, you know, it just keeps popping up every once in a while. It's almost like Dietrich getting hit by a pitch where it just happens so often. Right. It's like a magnet, and it's crazy. Um, it, and thinking about just the, the stretch of game, like those five games in 50 hours, the Reds only won one of those games. What is it like? And I know, obviously, there's definitely got to be a totally different aura between a winning locker room and a losing locker room. But you going into, you know, talk to players in the locker room after those types of games, do you tailor your approach based on the result of the game, or how do you approach that sort of thing? Uh, a little bit just based on the conversations. Like, say they say they lose, usually you're not talking to a ton of guys just because a lot of guys don't want to, you know, what's the point of giving inter- talking for interviews if, if it comes in a loss, sure. especially if they just had an average game. I mean, it's different. You know, Suarez hit his 40th homer. It's kind of an exception. But just say, like, you went one for four, those type of guys aren't really as apt to talk as a, in the other side if it's a win. You know, guys that stick around the clubhouse a little bit more often. They're willing to talk. They're willing to talk about their teammates. You can just tell the mood goes down when they lose. And I'd say it tailors your approach just in terms of who you talk to. I don't know if it changes much in terms of the question. Um, you know, obviously, Suarez was excited for his 40th homer, but – there's some games where guys, you know, they'll hit two homers and because they lost, they'll be in a bad mood. And it's just one of those things you kind of have to deal with. Who's your go-to guy when you're looking for a quote or a guy to talk to about the game? Who's your guy that you go to in the Reds locker room? The catchers are usually the, 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 the you know, learned that they're the guys that can always talk to uh, Kirk Catale, Tucker Barnhart, just because, you know, worst case scenario, even if they had a bad day at the plate, you can talk about their pitchers. Um, you know, at least one pitcher is going to have at least a good day, whether it's a reliever or starter. So there's always something for them, and they're kind of locked into every pitch uh, compared to everybody else. So they're usually the best guys to go to, and it helps that Barnhart and Casale are both, uh, you know, they're good talkers and good guys to talk to. Of all the rookies and the newcomers that have come on this this team this year, who's been the most talkative? Uh. They're all pretty. They're all pretty talkative and pretty laid back. For like, you wouldn't know they're rookies just by the way they handle themselves. Nice. For the most part, I mean, Aquino's pretty quiet, uh, but like Nick Senzel, he's pretty open. Um, doesn't mind chatting with reporters at any time. Josh Van Meter was probably the most laid back guy I've seen. Uh, not that I've covered baseball forever, but uh, just in terms of a guy who just got called up when he got called up in May. I mean, it was just one of those things where. It almost felt like he was so comfortable, so used to being in uh, in that environment, which was surprising just because, obviously, it is new. And a lot of those guys, you know, he had never played with before. But it was one of those things where uh, he made himself comfortable really quick. And you can see it in other guys, too, like even like Joel Kuno, uh, when he got called up last month. He's been, he's been pretty laid back and, uh, you know, not afraid to talk about his experiences and stuff like that. Bombas are what feet daydream about, and with every pair of socks purchased, one pair is donated. Buy your Bombas at B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash locked and get 20% off your first purchase. New game day shirt? Boom. Cashback. Food for the tailgate? 
Boom, cash back. Even buying around can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. In sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Did I mention there are no fees, period? This one is a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Today's Locked On Reds podcast is also brought to you by Postmates. I've been talking about them all week long, and if you haven't tried them yet, I've got a great introductory offer for you today. Download the Postmates app and enter promo code Locked On. You're going to get your first seven days of delivery paid for up to $100. The Postmates app is the best way to get your food delivered, your groceries delivered, whatever you need delivered. Get on Postmates right now. I myself am a big fan of ordering some Chipotle and just sitting on my couch waiting for it to come while I'm watching whatever shows on TV. I know that we got football starting out. Perfect time of year to get your food brought to you instead of having to go get it. I mean, who wants to wait in the drive-thru Why Andy Dalton and the Bengals are driving for a touchdown? All right, well, some of you might think that that may not happen this year. I bet they'll score at least one or two. And you don't want to miss it by sitting in the drive-thru. Download the Postmates app and get it delivered today. You just enter promo code Locked On, and your first seven days of delivery will be paid for up to $100. Whenever you need something, Postmate it. You mentioned talking with a lot with the managers. You know, you get to talk to them a lot each day. When it comes to David Bell, I know I've watched my fair share of post-game interviews on uh, Reds Live post-game with David mm-hmm. Bell. It, it seems like in a good game or a bad game, he's he's got a pretty even tone. Does he have like a on-camera tone versus an off-camera tone, or is it always kind of pretty even? No, yeah, he's pretty even. I mean, he's one of those guys who doesn't get caught. You know, he doesn't ride the wave as much as, you know, maybe fans or reporters do. You know, he's pretty even-keeled. I mean, I think, you know, like when R.C.D. Aquino does what he does last month, I think you see him, you know, kind of grow with that where he gets a little bit more excited, being like, okay, this is something that's going to stick around for a whole month. Uh, but for the most part, he doesn't get too low after losses. It's one of those things where he's always kind of focused on the next task at hand, uh, turns the page pretty quickly after losses, just because it, it's one of those things where I think it helps where he knows – from being a player, how long a 162 game season is. And it's easy to get caught up in small sample sizes and, you know, recent, recent events, but he's pretty good at uh, keeping an even head just about how long of a marathon season it can be and how much things can change just over the course of a week or two. Thinking of the, of this season, we've seen it's ups, we've seen it's downs and the ups have been very high and the downs have been very low. What has been your summation of this season to this point? I think it just comes down to how did you view this team at the beginning of the year? Like, if you had playoff, if you thought this team was going to make the playoffs, obviously this is a massive failure. You know, this team, you know, is out of it by the start of September. In my mind, when I saw this team at the beginning of the season, I saw them as a 75-78 win team. So I thought they'd fall a little bit short of 500, and it seems like, you know, maybe it'll be a little, even a little bit lower than that. Um, so I, I don't think it's a terribly massive disappointing season in terms of, you know, they're, they're kind of where I thought they would be. Uh, the pitching's obviously a lot better. You feel as the starting pitcher, starting pitching is a lot better than um, it was last season. 
So it gives you hope. I mean, in 2020, Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, Trevor Bauer should be better than he's shown. Um, so, I mean, that front three is as good as uh, maybe anyone but the Nationals in the National League or even the Mets. Uh, the bats, obviously, have been more, a lot more inconsistent than anybody thought they were going to be this year, especially with some of the hitters they have. I think Joey Votto's season hasn't been to where everyone thought it was going to be just based off how confident everyone was that he was going to kind of bounce back from last year. Uh, so I see some positives, some negatives. I don't, I don't think it was a terribly massive disappointment. I do think there's some things that they're next year. There's some things that you can look at that like the starting pitching that you can feel good about. I just think the off season is going to be huge for them and they'll have money to spend. They'll have kind of the resources to do what they want to do. It's just a matter of which players are they going to get to make this team better. And I think there's a lot of options you can do that with. And I do think, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of guys on the current team right now, like Aquino, Van Meter, and those guys, who, would you feel comfortable with them starting every day? You know, I'm kind of on the fence with both of them. Uh, but if you upgrade, I think they're great options off the bench, you know, and, or fourth outfielders and stuff like that. For sure. And, and kind of mentioning about the offseason and stuff like that, do you get the impression that the front office has a pretty good idea of their plan of attack for the offseason, or is there still too much that they're – they're working on from here until the last game of the season. I still think there's some chips that still need to fall. Like is Tyler Malley going to be a remain in the rotation or would you rather see him in the bullpen? Um, you know, before Alex Wood got hurt this past week, I think they would have tried him out in the bullpen. Now I think he's going to stick as a starter for the rest of the year. And, you know, that gives him a chance if he finishes off, you know, September, well, maybe that gives him a, a leg up um, in terms of saying, you know, maybe the front office doesn't feel like they have to add a starting pitcher necessarily in the off season. And kind of the same thing with the Kino. I mean, if he hits like he did, not that he has to have a national league player of the month type month in September, uh, but if he shows, you know, he can be an average hitter in September and you see what his peak is in August, maybe you feel better about him, whether you're starting right fielder or if he's your fourth outfielder or even a guy you platoon with out there. Uh, so I think there's some things that are still remain to be seen. I mean, but I do think the front office says, you know, we have to get better relief pitching than we've had. Uh, you know, maybe there's another bat or two. I don't know where it would come from just yet, but whether that's a second baseman or a center fielder or a right fielder or left fielder, um, and you, you know, there's there's room to improve, and I think they recognize that, but I don't know if they know 100% which positions they feel like they have to upgrade at. You mentioned it before, talking about Trevor Bauer, and, and, and we're all pretty much penciling him in as the third starter, but he definitely has gone through a, a trying period. What has he kind of attributed to that? Is he tinkering a lot, or how how does he approach it in his mind? Yeah, for him, it's, he's, I, you can tell he's confused by it. I mean, he's called, he said August was the worst month of his career, which statistically it was. Um, you know, he had a bad inning against the Phillies, yesterday um where he gave up four four runs and in five innings and you could tell he was just so frustrated by it he, he feels like he's the most unlucky pitcher in the past couple of months based off his batting average on balls in play yeah. um his first time through the phillies lineup he threw i think he only threw one one or two pitches outside of his 14 fastball just to say it's the only thing that you know the phillies have never seen this on my scouting report let's just throw everything else out the window and try something completely different and then, you know, pitched well for three innings or four innings and then, you know, had a bad fifth inning. And it's just one of those things where you can tell he's frustrated by it. He's a data-driven pitcher. 
uh, is really well well aware of you know which stats he he does well in and which ones he doesn't. Uh, and I, I, you can just tell it's one of those things he talks about banging his head against the brick wall and seeing which one breaks first. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's kind of just at that point where he's still searching for answers. Well, and this is the time period, and I'm not super. I, I look at it and I think that he's going to get it all figured out. And I mean, it's definitely the right period to do it. The Reds are out of it. That it's almost as if this is an extra month of spring training, kind of in that regard. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. And a lot of I was talking to Michael Lorenzen last weekend, and he made the point. You know, he's like, you, you see a lot of us whether we took step forward this year. Some guys took like Sonny Gray took a huge step forward. Luis Castillo took a huge step forward. Some guys took smaller step forwards, but you have to remember this is only our first season working with Derek Johnson and Caleb Cotham and Lee Tunnel, the whole new pitching coaches. Their first year really working with, you know, for most guys, the new technology, the slow motion cameras, the Rap Soto pitch tracking machines. I mean, now that they'll get a full off season to kind of work with the pitching coaches and work on the drills. I mean, it's one of those things where I think a lot of guys are pretty confident that, you know, this is only the first step in terms of how they're going to improve pitching wise. Bobby, I thank you so much for your time, man. I know we're kind of getting a little bit long here. I do have just one final question. It's funny because that you almost led into it perfectly. I was going to ask you, does Derek Johnson have a wand? Because <laughs> it really seems like there's a lot of guys that have made some really good progress, like you mentioned. And I, I just, I mean, what's it like talking with him about pitching? I mean, his main thing is whatever you do good at, make it great. So, and, you know, like Robert Stevenson, he has an amazing slider. Um, so the only thing they t- really changed this year was making sure his fastball was thrown more at the top of the zone instead of at the bottom, just so it would kind of change hitters' eyes and plays better with his slider. Um, but he throws his slider a lot more. And same thing with, like, Amir Garrity. He throws his slider a ton more than they ever have in the past. And it's like, you know, you don't have to worry about building the third pitch. You don't have to worry about making your fastball perfect. Just make your slider unhittable and we can work kind of everything else off of that. And, you know, that, that works the player's strengths a lot of the time. You know, you, you've seen a lot of growth with a lot of guys. Not everyone's been perfect. You know, like Rysel Iglesias has had a step back this year. Um, but you see it with, you know, those type of guys where strikeouts are, I think, I think they're one of the top teams in strikeouts as a whole. And a lot of guys are having their best seasons ever in terms of strikeouts. And it's one of those, you know, just keep focusing on what you're good at and make that part great. And kind of the rest will follow suit. Well, this has been the definitive interview by a Daily Reds podcast of Mr. Bobby Nightingale. Bob, I just wanted to ask you real quick, uh, what do you guys got coming down at the Inquirer this weekend and really kind of the rest of the season? Yeah, we'll have some good stories. I mean, obviously we'll be at every game. Uh, John Fay will have the coverage in Seattle when they're there next week. I'll have the rest. Um, We'll have some Marty Brenneman stuff. We'll have some more, I I think, pretty cool features coming down the road. you know, obviously the day-to-day goes down a little bit just with the, how the team's been playing. Uh, but I think we'll, we'll have some good stories out the rest of the month that will be cool to check out at Cincinnati.com. Absolutely. Well, Bobby, I really thank you for your time, sir, and I'll let you go and uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. That'll do it for the Phone It In Friday version of the Locked On Reds podcast. Now in normal weeks, this is the last podcast of the week, but because I decided to take Labor Day off, That's right. It's called Labor Day. I didn't do any labor. Whatever. Because I took that day off, I'm going to give you guys a podcast tomorrow. So the first ever Saturday podcast of the Locked On Reds podcast. 
I said the word podcast too many times there. Whatever. First ever Saturday edition of the podcast coming at you tomorrow. You're not going to want to miss it. We're just going to talk about what else? The Cincinnati Reds. Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on all the major providers. Also, hit us up on Twitter at Locked On Reds and at Jeff Carr with three Fs. Also, a quick update on the Twitter poll. I was kind of surprised, actually, because I myself, I trust the front office to make the right decision. Something we're going to talk about more tomorrow. But the Twitter poll was an even 50-50 as far as whether or not you trust the front office to do what needs to be done to contend next season. We're going to talk about that in depth tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening to the Locked On Reds podcast. My name is Jeff Carr, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.